If you're an entrepreneur, you know how valuable the right support can be. We've heard tons about virtual assistants, but what about leveling up even further? Let's think about experts. I came across more staffing recently. They're not just about connecting businesses with virtual assistants. Instead, they focus on matching you with professionals from the Philippines. We're talking about finance, supply chain, operations, marketing, and others. The real kicker? More staffing goes the extra mile. They back their placements with a 12-month guarantee, and they even coach them for the first six months. This ensures you're getting someone who's not only skilled, but also integrates seamlessly into your operations. If you're ready to evaluate and transform your business, head over to morenow.co. Again, morenow.co. Next year's creeping up quick. If you want to skyrocket revenue in 2024, you need tech that puts you in the pilot seat. The new HubSpot sales hub will help you close out the year strong and kickstart your success for 2024. Teams can collaborate on every inch of the customer journey and keep operations running smoothly with a comprehensive prospecting workspace and powerful sales and analytics tools that keep data connected across teams. Speed up your workflows and navigate your platform with ease with the AI-powered conversational platform ChatSpot. And use AI Assistant to write copy, generate emails, and more. They'll help you whip up assets and execute tasks that used to take hours out of your workday. HubSpot Sales Hub lets you accelerate every facet of your sales operation with precision. And with over 1,400 integrations, there are tons of ways to mix in new features. So finish out Q4 strong and gear up for the new year with HubSpot Sales Hub. Learn more at hubspot.com sales. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Jessica Young, who is the founder and CEO at Bubble Goods. Uh, so Jessica, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you guys are building at Bubble? Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, Bubble Goods is an online marketplace for emerging quality, healthy food brands to ship direct to consumer. Our mission is to be the number one channel for these brands online. So we come in where an emerging food brand is falling short with trying to sell on Amazon or within their own Shopify store, especially in the post iOS 14 world. It's super expensive and difficult to acquire and find customers online if you're a solo brand. So uh, we've brought that in-house all under one roof um, and we're bringing customers to these brands um, that otherwise would not really be able to see success. Uh, so yeah, my background's in the food space. Um, it's my life's work and passion to be around delicious food, I think. So I originally kind of started in the kitchen. So moved to New York City when I was 20 to go to culinary school for a semester. Uh, at the time, that was my plan. Ended up not returning to college and just like went um, full bore into all things food and culinary. So I worked in fine dining, did a some private chefing on the side for supplemental income, um, lived at the Hamptons for a bit as a whole other story, um, pre-Wishbone Kitchen TikTok vibes. But that was like my life. Uh, so I go between like cooking in restaurants and then Wishbone Kitchen life. And then worked at Hugh Kitchen, which at the time was a fast casual concept that was opening up and got a taste of all things startup. They were getting a line of chocolate together, which I think Mondelez now owns or has a has a major stake in. So it was really exciting to be a part of that. And then worked at a couple meal kit companies, part of that Blue Apron HelloFresh wave, some more niche meal kit companies that I learned 
a lot about what not to do, I would say, at those companies in startup. Um, but it was a great entry way into learning that, you know, a series A is not a baseball term, series this, series that. Um, we're talking about raising capital and growing company. So it was a great foray into all things startups. And then I joined Daily Harvest as employee as employee number one um, with Rachel, the founder, and that company was a rocket ship so it was really exciting to be a part of daily harvest growth um was responsible there for all things supply chain product innovation co-packers figuring out things like dry ice contracts to ship direct to consumer and then uh launched bubble goods um after leaving daily harvest shortly after so consulted a bit you know in there bootstrapped the business a bit uh at the beginning and then uh so it brought us to this point. So, yeah, that's my story. Well, I love it. We're we're really excited for the convo, especially because um, I think a lot of times, like when you're building businesses, it's not like necessarily a linear path, and you're you can kind of go from one thing. You can learn all these different skills, and you can build really creative businesses. So, before we get too far into bubble, I want to talk a little bit about daily harvest. I don't want to just like blow over that because. Being able to manage the supply chain and operations for a uh, a food and a like a meal delivery sort of company is a massive challenge in of itself. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about daily daily harvest, what the business was, um, how you got it set up, and what some of the challenges were that you were you guys were solving? Yeah, I was really ground level. I was so ground level that the brand you see today with the amazing branding and packaging. Um, didn't even exist. Rachel was, you know, getting in the, you know, her first investors, um, was working out of a commissary kitchen, kind of was getting the, the beginnings of a fulfillment and uh, kind of co-packer set up. Uh, and that's when I jumped in. Um, so she really focused on rebranding the company, getting our growth plan in place, working on investors. And then I handled really all things back end. So you know, you're getting a company, it's like soup to nuts, customer service, setting up things like Zendesk at the time, um, which for frozen and like perishable kind of direct to consumer business is imperative because especially in the early days, anything and everything can go wrong. Um, you know, people are putting their product in their pantry instead of their freezer and it's a frozen product and it's like melting and they're writing in like, oh, sorry, my husband put our daily harvest cups in the pantry, you know, uh, can we get a refund? You're like, what, what is happening? So, um, you know, dealing with all of that fun stuff, um, all the way to, I think really exciting mission driven, um, programs like setting up, um, you know, uh, lines with our buying and supply chain, um, to work on things like transitional organic, which was like a big mission of the business, um, to really shift the landscape of, you know, ingredients and like what's in the food that we're eating. So um, I think now the company's doing a ton on that front, but um, it was great to, I think, get all the heavy lifting out of the way and then leave everything in really good hands when I, it was time for me to move on so that I think all that higher level mission driven stuff was able to be accomplished. But yeah, it was a wild ride. Um, wild ride, you know, working around the clock, getting the business going. At one point, you have like interns working on top of trash cans because you're outgrowing your office space, and people are are, are um, and more and more people are entering the picture. So um, 
it was great. I definitely lived in many fulfillment centers and warehouses. I'm in a manufacturing plant today for this call. I'm always um, kind of, uh, yeah, finding myself in, in these spots. So, how how were you able to fill the shoes of that role? Were you ever like, you know, sort of imposter syndrome? Like, you know, maybe this role is just too big. I have no experience here. I'm employee number one. Um, and how did you, yeah, how did you just grow into the role basically? Yeah, I totally did. There were points where I felt way in over my head and um, it was like, raise the flag, ask for help. So I remember talking to Rachel, the founder and asking her, I feel like I could know more about what I'm doing here. Can I talk to someone? Should I be getting a mentor? I'm just running with what I think I know. But I also don't know what I don't know. So can I talk to someone? I remember she connected us to, she, she connected me to one of our um, original investors who um, was a big C-suite guy, uh, worked at, you know, I think Virgin Mobile, Legos, kind of CEO or C-suite at Lego. So big corporate guy. And I remember talking to him about particularly scaling our customer support and the whole concept of like tearing out issues of, you know, at some point, this won't hit all one system. Maybe you'll get a BPO set up or different tiers would impact different levels of, um, you know, touch points and seniority. And that was a novel idea to me at the time. I was like, oh, that that makes so much sense. So I think there were points um, like that when we were really breaking our own system that um, I raised the flag, asked for help. And I think that's important when you're building something and it's scaling super quickly, when you're feeling it, you know, over your head um, to raise the flag more people than not will take a minute out of their day to explain and just give you that perspective. So um, that was much needed in those years for me. One of the questions I have, Jessica, is a lot of times like people think about early stage business, but it's always cool to get the lens of after a business is scaled to like kind of go back to the really early days of, like you said, you were literally employee one. So for a business like this, which has, uh, you know, crazy supply chain uh, complexity, as well as perishable goods, as well as like preparing, you know, a physical meal that people are putting in their body. What what was like V1.0? Like literally day one when you ended up there, what was the scale they were at? How many meals were you guys delivering? Were you helping them like plan and execute on what the meals were going to be? Or like, where were we? Just yeah, so... Um right out of a commissary kitchen i kind of jumped in um to the first co-packer and fulfillment setup that we had um maybe 20 orders a week on you know this daily a subscription service and it was rachel the founder friends and family my friends and family because i started working you know um so we got lots of feedback you know your friends and family will give you all the feedback that you never wanted to hear so um, you know, the, some of the first investors were buying the box and getting the subscription, uh, not cute branding. I think it was pretty homegrown. Um, Bra uh, I don't know if Rachel would ever listen to this, but not cute. I think she came up with it herself. And, um, but then that changed, right? We actually started testing advertising and she got to, when I entered, she kind of like get to work on all the stuff that she really brought to the table, which was all the marketing, branding, um, we got some capital into the business. So, but yeah, maybe like 20 orders a week, like super, super ground level. Yeah. 
That's sweet. Um, you know, I, I just remember because like I, I've had experience founding a marketplace and I remember when we were, were in the restaurant space, we were doing, you know, the first day we we're doing like five reservations a day. So like probably like close to the same level and you're like right there, you don't really have a system, but that's like the beginning of where there is traction and scaling looks completely different. And now um, it looks like, you know, daily harvest has been valued over a billion dollars. So being able to see it scale all the way up, why don't you walk us through like the next portion of that scaling, right? Like when did you see, when did you know that this was like, okay, this is like really working and this is really starting to scale and we've got to like catch up with our supply chain and our suppliers and our product to be able to meet demand? What did, what did that look like? I mean, being totally honest, I think maybe this is part of a successful startup. You're just, you're running so quickly. It's a bit scary sometimes. And I don't know that I ever really felt like, oh, okay, we've got it. We can chill. That was never part of the picture. It was run as fast as you can, build the best product that you can, um, make the most delicious product that you can, and, um, you know, keep going. It was really important that we launched additional product lines into the SKU mix because, being a subscription-based business, having, you know, anything you're selling online, especially when you're packing it with like a 10-pound block of dry ice as your minimum footprint, you need to hit average order values, order frequencies. And at the time, like we were hitting the nail on the head with like acquisition fees, but there is that nice little matrix of acquisition retention and, um, you know, convert, like to make that work uh, by the numbers. So it was important for that business model to keep introducing new products so that repeat frequency and that subscription value was there. And that was one of the things that set that business apart from some other ones that started to implode during those years, like Blue Apron. Um, they had really high churnout rates um, after shipment one or two. It was a very novel type item or giftable. It wasn't a daily weekly habit. And that's what we really built in at the time to daily harvest. It was a daily habit and people found value and they would keep subscribing and it made it a super strong business. So, you know, different than other competitors out there. Is this, is this what drove you into Wobble Goods or was it just like, you know, a journey? It, was it an aha moment from this experience to build Bubble Goods or was it throughout time until you eventually said, I've had enough, I want to solve this problem? And what is Bubble Goods? Yeah, so Bubble Goods... You know, an online marketplace for a lot of products similar to Daily Harvest. Really, the aha moment was we had closed our Series B at Daily Harvest. The company was popping. Lots of you know marketing was going on. I've been in the food space for a long time. I mentored at the time for Chobani's incubator program. I love startup companies when I can. I angel invest in the side into different different food brands that I'm into. So. Uh, the aha moment was really, I was getting approached by a ton of food brands trying to either hire me or ask me tons of advice with like, how are you guys doing this at Daily Harvest? You're avoiding retailers. You're building this amazing brand, having all the success. I want to do that with my food brand. And I knew how we were doing it at Daily Harvest. I know the numbers that work and don't work and what made that brand really speak to an audience. And I knew that a lot of these solo brands had three or four SKUs. So even if they acquired customers, they weren't going to ever hit a certain basket size. Because they only had three or four SKUs, it would be really hard to get that repeat purchase. And at the same time, they were just super small. So it's like, how are you going to cut through the noise and reach customers? You don't have a big enough platform. 
to scale that. So it's it's not going to make sense. And, you know, good luck with two or three years getting into Whole Foods and expanding and dealing with retailer kind of buybacks and shelf space and competing with like these staple brands out there. And so I was like, all right, well, I know how to cut through the noise online. I know what makes a strong business. So I really did a lot of research at that time into a marketplace model. Would this work for the CPG space that I'm super passionate about? I know the customers are there. I know the numbers that will work to make the buy and transaction happen. But um, how will this work for brands and will they find value? So did a lot of homework. Um, Would a marketplace model work? Would it be a subscription-based model? What would be the model that would really solve this like disconnect and fragmented um, situation that I saw happening. So um, the aha moment was uh, really talking to some of these brands. It was a really easy sell. I was like, all right, great. We have an amazing supply side if they would like stick and have value. So fast forward to today, we have over a thousand food businesses on the bubble goods marketplace, 99% brand retention, brands that list with us stay and sell. And now we're pushing on the consumer side and driving a lot of growth into these brands. Um and now the brands are referring each other uh, with $0 brand acquisition fees. And so we can 100% focus on the consumer relationship and driving sales into these brands and um, their amazing products. Yeah, I, I really love this because um, it seems like in CPG, on for any marketplace, you need like marketplace, like you need a fit for the supply as well as for the demand, right? And it seems like your supply in terms of uh, the brands that you work with, they need, like you're saying, they need sales, right? It's hard enough to generate direct sales. It's hard enough to get awareness, um, customer acquisitions going up. So any f- sort of discovery um, is really beneficial on the brand side. And then as well as on the consumer side, I feel like we're in this blitz of CPG products where every time you walk into a market, there's like, another new drink on the shelf and there's there's just so much and you're like what happened to the days when i could just like walk in and see like you know coke seven up and like maybe an arizona iced tea um and now it's like there's a million different drinks they all have different functionalities like you go in the shelves there are all these new brands that have like amazing colors that are clearly like new and innovative and as a consumer that can be overwhelming as well right so having a place to like See and there's not enough information. Like you just see the <laughs> bottle. That's it. You know nothing else about the brand. Hundred percent. Um, so like it, like I just see it sort of um making sense. So I'd I'd love to kind of understand, you know, what 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 it sort of looks like now as as you increase like what does the shopper look like? Like who's buying stuff from you on the demand side, right? Like what customers are shopping. How are they finding things? How are they interacting with your product? And on the brand side, what kind of feedback are you hearing as well? Yeah, on um, the consumer customer side of the marketplace, we're going after the person who typically shops on Etsy. We we get called the Etsy of health food all the time, and we really use that as our North Star. So, And that speaks to our consumer. So we like to say that our customer typically shops on Etsy, loves handmade kind of craft goods, uh, likes things shipped to their home, but and also knows what Erewhon is, but doesn't have an Erewhon in their backyard and really wants to access all these amazing brands and have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, what is what is the new cool thing out there? Um, and really drive that discovery and audience for these brands. So 
I think you hit something really well that if you have access to stores that have a bunch of cool, you know, emerging brands, you know nothing about them. So when brands launch on our platform, we have an entire launch guide that we really can give them best practices with how we think they can best sell their product. So like get reviews up. We I can't tell you how many brands don't even think about putting reviews on their own store, but when they are selling with us, we really stress that. And then they end up doing that on their own store. It's like, yeah, people want that validation. They want to hear from other people. How does it taste, right? Like even when you're out with friends and someone eats a really delicious meal at a restaurant, if they're saying like, ooh, and on, I love it, you're going to want to order that as well. Uh, this is just like food 101. So um, we have an entire launch manual, best practices guide to really like push. And then I think it's impacts brands on their own. So it also is a way, even with my own knowledge, I've been impacting literally now thousands of brands by them selling on the marketplace because we're all telling them the same thing. There is a method to the madness to a degree. So, um, so yeah, so we're going after, um, you know, the customer who definitely knows what Erewhon and Etsy are. Um, we are the convergence of the two and, um, typically lives about two hours outside of a major secondary city, doesn't have access to a whole foods. Um, and again, really cares about what's, what's in their food products, who's behind them. Um, you know, we're going after their, typically, excuse female 35 to 55 so i'm curious that i mean i love that the etsy for cpg like that should be the title of this episode <laughs> and then bubble goods um i really love that to me on the brand side i was seeing it sort of like and i'm curious on the what the vetting process is for you to get brands and i love you mentioned that that you mentioned that you have the knowledge um of the experience that you have you care about the brand success just as much as as a success for your platform their success is your success and and you've been through the trenches. So on the brand side, I saw it more like a fair for consumer rather than, um, you know, wholesale. So given that the no minimum inventories were discussed on, on our other calls, so we'd love to hear more about that. And what is the vetting process for brands to join the market? Yeah. So what we're really proud of now is that uh, we have a completely self-serve uh platform. So it's as easy for a brand to list and sell with us as it is to make an Airbnb listing or a Craigslist listing. So we have two different plans. Brands can either opt in, kind of sign up and access orders as they come in with our generated shipping labels. And we have a separate plan where we now have a Shopify app. So about um, 75% now of brands that we work with have a Shopify store. They're just not selling anything on that Shopify store, uh, but we're, we are able to push orders in. So we have a Shopify app um, and we take a commission of sales so the orders drop into their feed. So if they have fulfillment set up and a Shopify store, it's, it's really easy to plug in. Um, again, we just want their inventory. We want we want to push them more sales. So we really tried to make that as easy as possible. Um, so, so there is no requirement or vetting. So any brand could list on the mobile goods marketplace. Um, yeah, so our vetting process, um, we actually have stricter standards than Erewhon or Whole Foods or Thrive Market. We don't accept products that contain refined sugars, dyes, gums, or preservatives to sell in the marketplace. And that really just kind of comes from our passion and background in, in the food world and system that we want to promote and see today. In such a direct from maker and producer to customer world, you know, these, these products aren't sitting on warehouse shelves for two years. They don't need a ton of preservatives to extend shelf life. It is going direct. So we feel like we're taking food to kind of back back where it should and has come from. 
So uh, we have drawn a pretty deep line in the sand about about that. Um, I think even since Whole Foods was acquired by Amazon, you're seeing the shift of even their wellness products. You're now seeing Advil, Excedrin on the shelves, companies like Boron that our staple wellness homeopathic brands are being stripped because of because of that acquisition. So we are giving a home to um, you know brands and products that are even um, being shifted through um, the Whole Foods impact with Amazon. Yeah, I feel like one of the big things that's so important for any marketplace, and this leads me into my next point, is like the trend that we're seeing towards curation is like curation is important and when people have so much to choose from they need to be able to come to a place to know what it is that they're getting so not only are you being able to play on the whole idea of curation through we have got a vetting process for our brands and what people are going to be putting in their body when they shop through on on bubble goods you make it easy for the customers to identify what that is and then on the brand side like you're saying you make it really easy so there's no lift on their end to integrate into the back end. And I think we'll probably be seeing more plays um, like this in commerce. And I think in terms of trends in commerce, I think this is a massive one, right? Like brands started by saying, oh, e-commerce, I can sell things online. What does that mean? It means I have to build my own website. It means I have to um, set up all my own fulfillment. I have to, you know, and I can do it on Shopify and that's where I go sell goods. Whereas now we see not only commerce becoming more omni-channel in the sense that, okay, I'm selling on my storefront as well as in retail and retail doors, but also into other sort of curated marketplaces and different places like this, right? Like this, for me to have a brand and be able to list on somewhere like Bubble Goods, that doesn't impact anything that I'm doing on direct and anything that I'm doing in retail. It just means that you are another source of curated distribution that I can tap into. And as a brand that becomes really important. So yeah, I'd love to, um, you know, hear your sort of thoughts on where you see things going in terms of, um, you know, curation and and how that factors into like strategy for both. Yeah, curation for us came from two spots, kind of like what I was speaking to earlier, a line in the sand around what we expect from the food brands that we want to push sales to. We want to push into quality. And then two prong, that's what consumers today want. They want a trusted source. They want to be able to shop somewhere that's like, oh yeah, everything here is good. It's not, I think, the curation of cute and cool packaging. I think there's enough of that out there and it can still be misleading. Just because like Diet Coke rebrands doesn't mean we need more distribution points for Diet Coke or more people drinking Diet Coke. So we're, we find it more interesting and also our cu customer finds it more interesting of, you know, what's the latest brand? Who's who's the maker behind this product that I can support? The whole kind of shop small movement. So we really try to bring that forward. And um, curation for us is all around quality. And that's what we get behind. That's what our customer gets behind. We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals, and we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. I think um, that reminds me, like, for example, this marketplace blowing up. I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Temu or Timu. Timu. Yeah. yeah. So 
um, like for example, the quality of that customer is not the same level of quality of like the cost a customer from a marketplace like Bubble Goods, which is curated, aligned with your values, and purposely seeking for companies that are aligned with their values. Um, the LTV and the curation of that customer is likely to be way higher than something as transactional as a customer on Timu looking for the cheapest product possible, zero care for brand, compassion yeah. for values, and I et cetera. By category. So I think our, speaking to our target customer and knowing what that person's really into, we could see our customer on Timu buying some fake bags because she doesn't or he doesn't want to, want to invest a lot in, you know, a, a seasonal Gucci bag, but really cares a lot about what they eat, what they ingest. And so they'll probably buy, you know, some fake Gucci loafers, but then they're going to spend their money on um, gluten-free sourdough and fly by Jing through bubble goods. Um, but yeah, it, it, we're pretty night and day in terms of the marketplace spectrum, even in bubble goods, uh, but complementary, I think, at the same time, in a weird way. Let's let's yeah uh that makes i mean um you know i'm definitely cheap in yeah. other areas and not cheap in in, in other areas so yeah. i can totally like, see that um, especially in growth i think yeah. I, I am of the school of thought which is a very realistic one that very rarely in in the grocery spectrum are you 100 percent of someone's purchase um we're not aiming to compete with costco we want to be supplementary to costco and as big of a supplement as possible because the grocery landscape is so diverse and again very complementary to each other so go stock up on your paper towels or whatever from costco save some money there but then again invest in you know some sourdough or non-alk beer that you're finding in in bubble goods so let's talk about some of the brands on the marketplace so for example fly by jing is one we had on the podcast very early in their days they keep growing i love their brand um they have their dumplings are unbelievably good um, so I would love to hear more about the brands, you know, the more key brands that you guys work with that you've had a lot of success with and have probably seen grow and grow with you guys. At this yeah. Time. And you would probably be shocked. I, you know, I'm always like on the fence of what we share don't share with some brands that you've never heard of that do crazy well with us. Um, so yeah, we have marquee brands like fly by Jing. We have emerging, really exciting non-alcohol um, companies like Groovy out of Colorado. So they have non-alc IPAs. They have a Prosecco, um, very up-and-coming um, non-alcoholic uh, company. Um, we have a larger brand called Talia Dinopoli. They actually make all of their um, pizzas. They're new on the site. Pizzas um, in Naples, Italy, flash freeze them, ship them here, and then they distribute. They come in like container ships of pizza over, and then they're distributed here. Really amazing stuff. Um, we actually currently today have a video going viral on TikTok about their pizza. So we're t selling a ton of pizza today um, on the marketplace. And I think that's the beauty of the eagle eye view of being in the space so long that I now see is just what's happening in the space, what clicks, what doesn't, um, and all the different levers to kind of get there. Um, we also recently have had a couple of brands that were featured on Shark Tank go viral on TikTok. Their episodes re-aired, and so they're selling a ton on our site, um, often above their Amazon purchases because that consumer is looking for those the products that we're selling. Um, and we have really, really great SEO 
just being a pure health and wellness marketplace. And so <clears throat> we're driving a ton of success. So a great company. So it's your TikTok. Uh, what about pizza? Like yeah. your, your, the pizza. And so how do they find them through your marketplace? If it's the pizza's TikTok, like, is it your space? Um, sorry, bubble goods. Yeah. TikTok yeah. Account? Posted about the pizza. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So, so I think this is a really important point because you guys are nonstop working. Like you actually are about it in terms of finding the distribution for these brands. A lot of marketplaces might position themselves out there. They make you go through all the hoops and loops. And then once you get listed, they're like, well, now you got to bring all your people. You got to tell everyone about it. But like you guys seriously invested in SEO. You're pushing for your brands on TikTok. And um, that is where, you know, distribution is everything. And you guys are actually doing Oh, yeah. Their sales are our sales and success. And um, we're, yeah, full stop on pushing these brands and products. Like everything that comes through our vetting process, we get behind. It tastes amazing. It has food safety information and great founders, like all the things. Um, so, yeah, we fully get behind the brands that are on the marketplace. It's not... I think a volume we're we're more quantity over sorry quality over quantity um again the opposite of team i would say but yeah we uh we get behind big time the, the brands i i love that for marketplaces too and that was something that we did um at seated as well ramon we would have the restaurants that wanted to sign up with us and the ones that signed up with like we promoted the hell out of we had our diners like they would go and we could send them a whole bunch of volume and, um, you know, I think that's the benefit because like there's endless brands, right? And the brands that choose to align with bubble goods, like Jessica and the team are going to be out pumping, promoting, creating TikToks, sending email blasts, like doing all of this stuff. And then those brands are, are able to benefit. Actually, it's funny right now. I was just texting my friend. She runs, um, a Greek honey brand. They're like the, one of the biggest sellers in Erwan. And I just texted her bubble goods. I was like, hey, there we go. Joy, I was like, I'm I'm, okay. I'm on with Jessica right now. Would you listen? She's like, this is super cool. Yeah, like get me on. So um, clearly the value prop for the brands, like I can definitely um, see. And and but but for your side as well, it's it's great because like that's the value you're able to find. Right. Like a lot of brand operators are working so, so hard to like get into doors to find distribution to like, and it's so hard, like, okay, I have to meet with the buyer. I have to lock down air one. Okay. I have to drive all the way up to the Hamptons and like meet this cool market and like meet the buyer there and send them the product. So I think, you know, being able to, it's so old school and having a system where you can just like plug in digitally and be able to do that is, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really like make amazing products. We're going to drive sales. And in the future, if we want to add some fulfillment services or Kovac, like what we just want to support in all ways. But um, it really kind of for us is is the magic is in the mix of everyone bringing their own kind of unique spin. But yeah, I mean, we're not messing around. Everyone at Bubble on this like founding team is the best at what they do. So our CTO was CTO actually at Daily Harvest uh, and came over. Um, We both kind of have built systems and backends for, again, we did it for one massive company. Now we're doing it for thousands on this platform and bringing those sales. And we even speaking to TikTok, I, you know, we wanted to have a pretty solid strategy. We're like, all right, content is king right now. Queen, content is queen. 
And how can we be the best at our content to drive sales is the goal, not necessarily educate. We want to drive sales. So we found uh, amazing young talent named Megan, who is all over our channels now. And she had her own uh, gaming company and built her following to over a quarter million followers, sold a ton of her own game wanted to work for another company. So we poached her right up and now she's driving sales like the pizza example going viral today. And now we're selling a bunch of pizza. So um, we really seek out for our team the best of the best so that we can, you know, provide that service um, to to everyone on the platform. So so Jessica, I have a question just following up here. Um, so Because now we can talk about your vetting process. We can talk about a brand that like, we know really well. So if you Google right now, Riza Honey, R-I-Z-A Honey, um, I want you to like go through and be like, okay, is this a, a brand that we could like add to our site? And like, how does it fit in? Like, what, what? just walk me through live right now what a what a vetting process sure. would look so like. So right away when I Google Riza Honey, R-I-Z-A, I don't see any shopping banner. So this person is not in Google Merchant Center. So great. We put products right away in our Google Merchant Center feed for shopping. So they, went upon listing, would pop right in there. So I'm going to her site or his site or their site. Um, providing small-scale farmers and artisans. Oh, these, these are beautiful honey products. This would be perfect. Um, just going to see that they're on Shopify. Um which they are great. So page source, yeah, they would plug into our Shopify app and they would be up and selling within the week as soon as they're approved in our process. We have a really, really fast turnaround process. We get together once a week in office and we taste test all the new like brands hitting the site. Um, and then they go through the kind of more formal, we get food safety information on file and all the more formal documentation. And then, it, you know, again, they could be up and selling within the week. So this would be a perfect fit. Wait, well, we'll... I'll tell Joy right now, and we'll we'll get them right on yeah. on Bubble. Um, so that that's 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 really fun. I guess my my next question was um was going to be on the growth and the content and all the stuff that you do because, like we had said before, it's really important that you know obviously you're bringing on brands and then you're working as hard as you can. You get all the supply and then you're working on scaling demand, right? And you've got a lot of tools to work with. You've got a lot of content. You've got a lot of stories to tell. So in terms of demand gen, what does it look like? What does growth look like on your end? How do you guys think about it? And how do you grow the the shopping? Yeah, good question. So top of, well, top of mind is we. what's great is when we drive people in, our basket sizes, we have about um, average five units per purchase. So when we're driving customers, they're not just buying one thing. They're buying a full basket of different products that they like. Typically on their first purchase, products, two, four, six, kind of every other purchase, people are stocking up. So we have a very like discover and stock up cadence with our customers. Um, subsequent orders after that first purchase are actually um, close to triple a first purchase with us. So we love our repeat customers. We, our repeat customers are very, very dedicated. And um, so so top top of mind is getting people in the door and we know that they, we know they shop. Uh, we have like pretty high conversion, like it's great. 
Um, but getting people in, we do a lot to make it as cheap as possible to get people in the door. So what's nice about having a marketplace with thousands of SKU listings is that those are all yellow brick roads into the Oz of bubble. So all of our SKU pages are SEO optimized. We have a lot of stuff hidden in there. We are going hard with um, everything working for that kind of co-op common goal and driving in. So all the products that list for us are working for us. We have no product that's kind of dead weight floating on our boat. So um, we have all those pages like working for us and kind of like coded, which is nice. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, all products that hit the platform pop into Google Merchant Center. They're on our Instagram. We're on all social media platforms to, for product feeds driving in. Um, and then we do a lot with the brands themselves and their audiences. So again, we just leverage everything that's going on in everyone's communities and just like how can we get the most bang for our buck each time a product or brand is part of our ecosystem. Um, so and it drives like a ton of really what's nice is like cheap and low cost demand. <laughs> um, and then we're able again to have more budget for like dedicated campaigns and ads that we're running behind what we do. You're you're also investing in. It looks. I was just looking through the website. It's and I'm curious. Are do you invest into the content of some of these brands? Like, you know, if you want your content to be uniform on Bubble Goods, and the brand might not have the content that meets the um, the quality bar, are you shooting content for the brands, or do the brands have to submit their own content under certain? They criteria? generally have to submit under criteria, and that's part of like our photo approval process with their. Uh, we do require, for example, a product on a white background because we do a good amount of A-B testing with like lifestyle versus product on a white background with different things that we're running. So we like the optionality. Um, we do have guides and then we have Canva templates. We have a ton in the system so that when brands launch with us, we have a co-branded Canva template that they can pop their logo and product into and post to social media right away when they go live. Same thing with product photography. So we've set it up to be like really easy for people to use like third-party tools and um, abide by our standards. And again, that really nice system that we see success with as brands come into the into the flow. I will say things that are in our gift SKUs, we have photographed in-house. Um, that's the one area that I think falls the most short. So um, is like our gifting. So, um, but that's it. Yeah. One question that I have is, do you see a future in which like, because I think one point you really, that you made was Anytime a customer makes a purchase, now they're like a customer of Bubble Goods and they can like expand so you can like land and kind of expand and then they can make their next purchase and, and find more different snacks and everything that they love. But my question would be, knowing that, are you able to in the future now run campaigns with brands where maybe they could say, you know, we'll front the cost of whatever of like that first purchase and like through that, you're able to like list them in different parts of the marketplace. And then you create this like synergistic flywheel where brands are really able to like promote and get their product in front of people in a more meaningful way. Yeah, that's I think a natural evolution. We get that question all the time. Currently, we our only source of revenue is commission on sales as a marketplace. So when a brand makes a sale, we make a sale. As we build a more systematic approach to like acquisition and also pro like if a if a brand were to opt into something like that we really want to make sure that they're going to see success or like a certain rate of return 
when opting into something um, like that. So, and again, we take the brand relationships really seriously. So honestly, their inventory and relationship up with us is more valuable than currently like a campaign they'd run with us. And also most brands are super emerging. They don't have a big budget to like opt in to, to some program like programming like that. As we scale though, we definitely plan to have some options for like native advertising, sponsored placement, sponsored search um, once um, we have a bit more of a system. Um, I think that's asked for a lot. We also have a lot of brands asking for data and insights because we are a pretty go-to launch platform for a lot of these emerging brands. They want those data and insights and they want to be able to take that to a Whole Foods buyer or an Erewhon buyer. We have a lot of brands that start with us before they're even going to an Erewhon meeting. So um, data and insight packages, like being able to kind of pay for that on a monthly basis, fulfillment services um, are definitely the top three most requested additional services other than sales that we get from brands. That, that makes total sense. I So I ran a UGC content marketplace okay. and my friends would ask me for discounts and I'm like, it's a marketplace. I cannot give you a discount. And because you're my friend, you're not, <laughs> it should be the opposite. I need the margin. Um, if our creators aren't selling content, we're not yeah. making money. So um, marketplaces are, are, are tough when it comes to liquidity and liquidity is the bloodline of, of marketplaces. Yeah. But the good news is you don't have to care of the inventory, which which is also nice. That's so, true. Yes. So, um, what was my last question going to be? I think it was going to be around. Um, oh yeah, I, I was just going to say on the promotional side of things, like as you guys build up that like shopper side of things, it really is invaluable to a brand to be able to be like, you know, if you guys are sending out like the email marketing blast and you're like, hey, go check out this brand, like that is a whole bunch of impressions to a really valuable audience that. Um, you know, there's certain brands might be like, oh, I don't want to do this. It's another marketplace. It's something that I have to worry about. But like when it comes to promotion, like that kind of stuff to the right buyer at the right time is is really invaluable and really moves the needle. And as that marketplace flywheel grows, like we've done this, like we Ramon and I sell software now and we launched our software on a like a marketplace that is, you know, basically the equivalent of bubble goods, but for SaaS. And I mean, we generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in months just because they sent a couple emails yeah. and like push it out to their community. So like as these things build on top of itself, um, they really become massive demand jet but, engines. And I'm actually curious on that, Jessica, like to, in order to build the liquidity for a brand to that extent, you really need to earn the trust from the people that are um, buying from you in your newsletter etc that's everything right the moment that trust is lost doesn't matter if there's a million people on the email list if they don't convert so what is bubble goods doing or can, like what is the recipe for you to continue to earn the trust um i guess this is the consumer police here asking this question but i'm just curious what um what makes the the bubble goods consumer love bubble goods yeah i think our high level of standards and maintaining those standards. So as we scale and grow, not accepting anything less at any time. So, you know, for net, no, I mean, I remember being in like some investor pitches and they were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Oh, you sell a bunch of healthy food. Wouldn't it be cool if you sold the healthy product and then also the not healthy product? So like the healthy non-Coke and then Coca-Cola. I'm like, yeah, no, customers don't want that. There's again, enough places to buy Coca-Cola. GoPuff, Instacart, 
any bodega or like convenience store on any corner, not a lot of places to buy this product um, that our consumers want. So I think uh, having and upholding really high standards anytime and, you know, always um, is really important for us. Um, and then just like backing that up over time. So really, I think promoting, communicating our brand values and what's going on behind the scenes. We found that to be really important, not only on like a content front that does well, that we see consumers, you know, like and post and share is like if we show what we're doing with our team and all the standards and more of that behind the scenes um, to like bring some of that transparency forward. Um, and then I think just working with amazing brand partners over time. So, you know, we want to be working with the best of the best, sell the best of the best. Um, so, you know, doing our homework um, around, you know, who's selling with us and sharing their stories, I think build a lot of that trust and communication with customers um, within the greater kind of bubble goods ecosystem. Yeah, I think um, you're, you have a really cool marketplace. I think the especially the stories of the brands that you work with are very interesting and have so much depth each each brand does um, within the marketplace. And so you have a lot of content to work with and just relaying those stories. Um, it's it's very ripe for TikTok. I just, I think about content because I've built there for so long. So um, it must be a fun job for you to, you know, just be proud of the stories of your own brands and, and share yeah, that story. Yeah, it's something we're looking to do more of. Uh, we find that customers are actually first and foremost interested in what products these things can do for them. So shopping by function, their lifestyle. So am I vegan? Do I want like some stress aids? I'm going to search for products that have adaptogens in them. And then after lifestyle and function actually comes brand story, but it's not actually first what we found. So, but it, but it is important of that again, full story and full picture to bring color. And I think that ultimate conversion in for that sale of a brand. So we are investing um, over the next six months, pretty heavily in that brand story element, but again, keeping function and lifestyle as a as a primary value for again driving sales because that's what brands need most. They don't need necessarily better branding. They don't always need better fulfillment options. They need sales. They can figure out fulfillment. They can always upgrade their branding and packaging. So, um, but yeah, we're investing pretty heavily in our brand landing pages and. Um, having brands collaborate with each other a bit more and and fun stuff like that. Awesome. Well, we're excited to see you guys keep growing. I think it's definitely something that's super needed, especially um, in the the landscape I described of like the, going into the shopping market and being like, whoa, what are all these brand new products where, and I feel like there's more and more every day. So um, really excited with what you guys are building. And as we wrap up here, Jessica, where can our listeners connect with you personally and where can they find out more about bubble goods? Yep. Um you can find bubble goods at bubble goods on different social media platforms, definitely on LinkedIn. We have a great brand and seller community. So if you're on the kind of B2B side of things, find us on LinkedIn and bubblegoods.com. And then if you're interested in making an account and selling with us, you can visit sell.bubblegoods.com to create an account and get moving. Um, you can find me personally. I'm at Jess Young Food on social media platforms, also LinkedIn. Um, and my email is jessica at bubblegoods.com. So ban me. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. And we look forward to seeing you guys continue Thank you. to grow. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. 
Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.